Heavenly Father, we just pray, O oh God, that you would just speak into our hearts. Lord, that you would touch our minds. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to come and to fellowship together around your word. Lord, may our hearts be open and we just remember all those who for different reasons, Lord, aren't able to fellowship with us here today. For those who are well, for those who are unwell, for those away, Lord, with families. Lord, whatever the reason, Lord, I just pray that you would really bless them and encourage them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, that in our hearts today, your word might be sown deeply, that we might be encouraged and blessed in the name of Jesus. And everyone said together? Amen. Well, let's turn to the word of the Lord again, can we, today? And the theme, as has been the case over the last few weeks, has been the mystery of the church. Not just simply this church, but God's plan and purpose for his ecclesia right across the nations. And the Bible is full of so much truth around what it means to be part of the body of Christ. This living organism that is the bride being prepared for a wedding, a building that's been under construction and will yet be finalised and finished. A place where God lives by his Holy Spirit. And we are that building, aren't we? We are that body. Those two defining metaphors that we have in the New Testament, a body and a building, really exemplify something of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And the good news this morning is that when we talk about church, we're not talking about pews, stained glass windows, carpets, organs and buildings. We're talking about people. That's you and me together. We are the new temple in which God dwells and lives by his Holy Spirit. Now today I wanted to move forward with yet another theme around the church, namely that which pertains to the ministries of the church. Again, this is not an exhaustive teaching. I don't think you can do that. But it's one that I believe will help us focus our hearts and minds on how God orders the world in which he has called us into, namely that which pertains to the kingdom of God. And the passage of scripture I wanted to draw your attention here today is found in Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 11 down to verse 16. A familiar passage and one that has been often quoted as a benchmark for understanding what is often referred to as gift ministries. And this is what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And he, being Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Such a wonderful passage of scripture this. But it sits very neatly within the context of a wider epistle written by Paul during his time in prison in Rome. Along with others like Colossians, Philippians and Philemon. But the book of Ephesians focuses our attention very much on the theme of the body of Christ. Whereas the book of Colossians centres more in the headship of Christ over the body. So in this wonderful book that covers six chapters. In chapter one, Paul gives us that grand landscape of truth around God's plan of salvation. From the dateless past to the dateless future, how God has chosen us. We have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then we have the first of two prayers in chapter 1, reading from verse 15 down to verse 23, whereby Paul prays that we might know God better. Having a spirit of wisdom and revelation to grow up in the truth of what we have received. And then we come to chapter 2, which is one of the most wonderful passages that gives us an overview of God's work of salvation. From the fact that we were dead in our sins, to the point that God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, right through to the truth around what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And chapter 3 brings us there with the mystery of the church. And then the second of two prayers at the end, in verse 19 through to 20, in chapter 3, which is a prayer not so, so much for enlightenment, but rather for empowerment. And then chapters 4 through to 6, we have the outworking of everything that Paul has said up until that point. So in chapters 1 through to 3, we have our riches in Christ. And then in chapters 4 through to 6, we have our responsibilities as Christians. So how many of you know here this morning that the blessings that God has given us are there to be worked out in our lives? That God has blessed us for a purpose. We don't earn the blessings of the Lord but the blessings of the Lord come by grace and then we have a responsibility to work those through as it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works now the good works don't lead to salvation they flow from the fact that we are saved they are the evidences the fruit of a transformed life so in chapter 4 through to 6, we have something of the outworking of this. We're called to walk in unity, purity, harmony, victory. Chapter 6 really concludes the whole letter with this wonderful statement of how we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So there we have it. In a nutshell, the book of Ephesians. But we're coming now to chapter 4. Where here, Paul is talking in the context of the ascended Lord. Now, we can't read the whole chapter, but what we have here from verse 11 onwards is the outworking of the truth of the fact that Christ ascended on high and then gave gifts unto men. He is talking still about the theme of the building up of the body of Christ, the maturing of the saints for the work of the ministry. And he talks about these ministries that God has given the church. Now let me just list, shall we, eight primary ministry gifts that we find within the church. Five are listed here, but then there's three listed elsewhere. So we have the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And then elsewhere, certainly in the pastoral epistles to Timothy and Titus, we have elders and deacons 
But there's also another gift that very often gets overlooked, and that is the gift of administration. Administrators are vital ministries within the church. Thank God for them. Those who very often serve behind the scenes. They're not necessarily public ministries as in preachers and worship leaders, but they are people who keep us all on track and keep the paperwork up to date and keep everything focused in the sense of how we regulate and how we order the running of a church. So we have all of these ministries. You could argue from the New Testament perspective that actually the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers all function as elders. Another word that needs to be understood is the word shepherd. A pastor is a shepherd. These are shepherding ministries. It's not hierarchical as in a pyramid structure of power and authority. Actually, they are servant ministries that are there to serve the body of Christ. They don't sit at the top of the pyramid. The pyramid in the kingdom is upside down. The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. So all those who serve and lead do so from a place of lifting others up. They are the foundations upon which everything can rest. And of Christ himself being the true foundation, the cornerstone, the bedrock of faith. Everything rests upon him. So we have these ministries. Apostles are mentioned in the New Testament. The word apostle simply means a sent one, a missionary. So Paul's an apostle and others were called apostles. They were pioneers, weren't they? Groundbreaking ministries who went where no one had been before. To establish churches, to equip the church, to be there as a role model for others to follow. Paul was such a man. To the Gentiles, whereas Peter was an apostle to the Jews. The prophets were very much those who brought the inspiration of the word of God. Exhortation, challenge. The evangelists, those bringing the gospel Preaching the word of God. Philip being one, Acts 8. A glorious revival in Samaria. After that persecution following the death of Stephen. Philip then goes to Samaria and has a revival campaign across the city. And such wonderful things happened as he preached the word of God. Pastors and teachers, very often local church based. Whereas the previous three tend to be more, sometimes at times, itinerant. Parachurch, they tend to function across churches. Whereas pastors and teachers tend to be local church ministries. Although they have an influence and a role outside a congregation, they are nonetheless very often resident ministries that sit within the context of a local church. Elders and deacons, interesting ministries these are. If you look at the qualifications of both of these ministries, the only difference between the qualification of an elder as opposed to a deacon is that an elder has to be apt to teach. All the other qualifications are the same. And they are essentially to do with character. A faithful man, a family man, a fruitful man. Somebody who bears in their lives the very residence of the kingdom of God. A faithful person committed to scripture and loyal and faithful. And the lists are mentioned there in Titus as well as the book of Timothy. But these are ministries that serve within the church. And then administrators thank God for them, those who keep the paperwork in order. Although actually, 
The original Greek word for administration carries a wider meaning than simply a pen pusher or somebody who organises and plans things. It's actually to do with somebody who brings structure and strategy. So there's a visionary context to that as well. So let's move on, shall we? Let's just look further at something of what the word of the Lord is saying. So as we look at these ministries here this morning, what are they and what do they represent? Well, I believe that they represent the fullness of the ministry of Christ in and through the church. So if you put all these ministries together, what you have is Jesus. Because he is all of these things, isn't he? And more. He's an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, he's a teacher. He's an elder, he's a deacon. He's a very good administrator. So when we have these ministries flowing and functioning together, what you have is the full measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. So if that's the case, then that would then conclude in our thinking that every church therefore must be exposed to all of these ministries in one way or another in order to flourish and to grow. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that if all of these ministries represent the fullness of the body of Christ, him being exalted in heaven, then surely these ministries need to work amongst us today. Now, some would say, well, we have pastors and teachers today and maybe the odd evangelist. But certainly the apostles and the prophets, they went out after the first century ended. You know, Paul being the last one, or John or Peter. So we don't have any of these ministries today, but we do have the pastors and the teachers and the elders and the deacons. Well, I believe that there is a sense of continuity with these ministries. Now, one thing that we do need to say about that is that when it comes to the work and the ministry of an apostle, there are two types of apostle. There are those that we could describe as the apostles of the Lamb. Jesus is 12. Those who are called to follow Christ as we read of it in the Gospels. Now they represent a unique company of people. But then there are other apostles who were appointed. Maybe the first group are apostles with a capital A. And all other apostles were apostles with a small a. So they functioned in a different capacity. But nonetheless, these were groundbreaking pioneer ministries. And I think we have them today. Sometimes people function in that ministry without even knowing that that's what God has called them to do. Now, we also need to understand something very important. These ministries are not titles of superiority. They are simply the designated calling of God upon a person's life. So Paul, first and foremost, was a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle. He didn't boast about that as some kind of badge of superiority. He recognised that was the call of God upon his life and bent over backwards to prove that he wasn't some kind of super-duper preacher, but rather he was the least of all the apostles. He bent over backwards to enforce his own humility, to say, look, I'm not the one who sits at the top of the triangle. I am the one who serves and supports you. 
So all of these ministries aren't hierarchical in the sense of control and power as we understand it in an earthly sense, but they are there to serve the body of Christ. They are there to be the means by which God's word is accomplished amongst us. So if you were to ask the question of all these gifts, what is the most important gift? I would say that it's the gift that's needed at the time. If you have a group of people gathered in some church auditorium and nobody knows anything about Jesus, they're all unbelievers, what kind of ministry do you need in that context? Well, you need an evangelist. And if many come to faith, then you need somebody maybe to bring some teaching and some pastoral care. That company of people who don't know the Lord don't need an in-depth Bible study on Revelation chapter 6. It'll go over their heads. Now they might respond, who knows? But different ministries serve in different ways. And I think that even as believers, we all need to ask ourselves the question, what kind of ministry do we need to be exposed to? Now, very often within local churches, it's usually the ministry of the pastor and the teacher that people tend to align themselves with. That's an eldership gift. But I found in my own life that very often if you're feeling a bit discouraged and you want God to help you, very often the tendency then is to think, oh, what I need is a pastor, a shoulder to cry on, somebody to bring a bit of encouragement and to lift my head up a bit higher than what it is. Now that might be helpful, but maybe what's needed is not a shoulder to cry on. What is needed is a prophetic ministry to say, this is the way of the Lord walking in it. Now that doesn't discount with the fact that pastoral care and mercy ministries aren't needed. But sometimes I think what the church needs is a far more robust and direct sense of this is the word of the Lord. I think very often there's too much focus on trying to massage people's vulnerabilities and to try and win little arguments and get them around corners when in fact what they need is the word of the Lord into their lives. Now I don't mean that in any harsh way, it's just that I know in my own life that very often at significance points when I've looked to the Lord for help, it's been the word of the Lord, shape up, pull your socks up, move forward and I'm with you. Now, in that, the pastoral gift flows because great strength flows into a person's life when they know the word of the Lord. But maybe what we've tended to do is focus too much on mercy ministries and we go round in circles trying to help people, trying to counsel people, trying to encourage people. And more often than not, we don't get very far. But what we maybe need to do is to say, Lord, what kind of ministry do we need to sit under? What kind of ministry? Uh, Paul said to Timothy, he said, you're a pastor, but do the work of an evangelist. And evangelism, soul winning, reaching out with the word of the Lord has to be something that is really top of the list in terms of what God's called us to do and what he's called us to be. So as we look at the purpose of these gift ministries. I've listed five 
in terms of trying to unwrap how these ministries work. Number one, as Paul so clearly tells us, they are there to equip the church for the work of the ministry. The word equip carries with it the idea of a bride being prepared for a wedding, a ship being prepared for a maiden voyage, or an army being prepared for a battle. There's a sense to which there is a purpose and there's an outcome to what we see transpire. These ministries are there to equip the church for the work of the ministry. So when we look at the ministry of an evangelist, what picture gets painted in our minds in terms of that gifting? Well, we think, well, there's a Billy Graham, there's a Reinhard Bonnke. There's somebody else who comes into town, we hold a meeting, they preach the gospel, everyone gets saved and we all go home. Now that is good and God can use that. But actually what Paul says is that the ministry, whether that be an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, their role and their calling is to prepare or to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So what is the work of an evangelist? It is to equip the church to be evangelistic. Not to do all the preaching and everyone comes to listen to them, but rather, it says here, to prepare God's people for works of service. Whether that be the pastor or the teacher, it's not there to do the ministry, it is there to equip the church for the church to do the ministry. Because we're a body and every part functions according to God's assignment and how God has ordered his church. So what is the role of all of these ministries? It is to equip the church for the work of the ministry. Even an elder, a deacon, it is to encourage the church in the service of God and the pursuit of what God's called them to do. To equip the church. So we are therefore ultimately called to serve together. So if these ministries are flowing, then the outcome should be that we're serving together. We're ministering shoulder to shoulder. We're supporting one another. And all of this and more. So the first thing that Paul says, it is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's why we all need to be, in whatever shape or form that is, exposed to all of these ministries. Because there are ministries that I'm sure you're very comfortable with, but then there are other ministries that maybe seem to be a bit more foreign. I think the apostolic and prophetic ministries are something that need to be far more recognised, understood... And submitted to. It's not an easy question to answer. Who are these people? But I believe we all need something more of the wider picture of how God wants to build and to release us all into what His will and purpose is for our lives. So that's the first point to equip the church for the work of the ministry, serving together. Secondly, to build up the body of Christ. Maturing together. So it talks about the fact that until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. 
So as the body grows and builds itself up in love as every part does its work, the church itself is built. If it's a body, it grows physically, its organs work effectively, its different members understand their own role to the degree to which they are aligned to the head. So any part of the body that is cut off from the head will not work. So relationship with the head is vital to a body that actually functions according to God's design. But then a building is under construction. So we're being built, aren't we? To become a house in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. God dwells in us. We are the building of God, but we are being built to become the temple of the Lord. It's present reality as well as future hope. But to build up the body of Christ so that we mature together. So how do we mature? Well, it's called discipleship. It's called loving one another. It's called being encouraged by one another, serving alongside one another, all of this and more. The Lord wants to see his body grow and his body built up, that we might mature together. This theme of maturity runs throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. We have two church companies. We have one in Corinth and then we have a Hebrew church that's not listed as a local assembly, but to the book of Hebrews, the word of the Lord would come and through that the word of the Lord would be understood. And the problem with Corinth is that they were divided as a congregation. So all that Paul could teach to them was at what he describes as the milk level. They were babies in Christ, falling out, throwing their rattles out of the pram, getting all bent out of shape, and they couldn't rise above the milk level because of their immaturity. But we come to the church of the Hebrews, and we have a completely different story. They were those who had meat, they'd known the deeper things of God, but because of persecution and intimidation, they'd gone back from the point of enjoying meat to the point that they needed milk all over again. So there we have two pictures, as it were, in terms of the relativity around Christian maturity. All of us should be growing. It's great to give a baby a bottle of milk. If that baby, when it reaches the age of six or seven, is still needing milk, then there's something wrong. The diet has to change. A baby has to come to the point where they are weaned and they go from milk to solids. Part of the development of a body involves a balanced diet. And that's what we need to understand. A balanced diet, and Paul comes on to this in a few moments as we will look at it. In terms of the word of God. So we feed upon the word of God and in doing so we are being built up. Thirdly, Paul talks about the fact that these ministries are there to promote spiritual unity. We are to fellowship together, koinonia. 
talks about the fact that until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow, these are wonderful statements, aren't they? These are really, really chunky bits of meat. But it's all about unity. Now, when the Bible talks about unity, we are united as a body. We've already reached that place because we're all knit together. But what God calls us to do is not attain unity as in try to be the body, but simply to work out what God has already worked in, to maintain the unity of the bond of peace, as it says elsewhere in this wonderful letter. But these ministries are there to promote spiritual unity, whereby we fellowship together. The word fellowship is the word koinonia. Now, the word koinonia is not... Well, a group of people gather together, they have a nice little chat, and then they go home. Fellowship or koinonia, biblically speaking, is all about a company of people together on a mission. Shared values, shared vision, they've got a common goal, and they move forward in one heart and mind. Koinonia is a company of people together on a mission. So these ministries are there to promote that. It's something that we need to understand in our own journeys of faith here this morning. So fourthly, these ministries are there also to instruct the church so that we can learn together. I love what it says here. In talking about doctrine, he says that we may no longer be children. So we grow up. No longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So a mature person is someone who, by constant use, has trained their senses to discern between good and evil. It talks about this in Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. But milky Christians are those who are vulnerable to deception because they're still on the basic truths and they've not grown and they've not matured to the point that they can actually discern between that which is right and that which is wrong. But these ministries are there to bring instruction to the church so that we might be rooted and grounded, not like a stick in the wind, so that whatever direction the wind is blowing in, we're tossed by all of that. But rather, we are steadfast and we are solid. We're not deceived by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We're a people who can discern the word of God. And we're living in an age where there's so many different voices saying so many different things, aren't there? And the pulpit on a Sunday is one voice that can be listened to, but then there's... Christian media, there's TV, there's radio, there's magazines, there's social media, there's a million and one different platforms, each pumping out all sorts of stuff. And sometimes Christians are more influenced by, by what they see on TV than what they are by what they hear in the local church. Sometimes Christians are more willing to listen to the opinion of someone that they don't know than rather understand 
and submit to the opinion of somebody that they do know. And it's a problem. And over the last few years, an ever-increasing challenge for the church with the rise of the internet and YouTube and Christian TV. There's all of these different voices. So therefore, in view of all of that, we've got to be a people who can discern what we hear. Don't accept everything that you hear. Like the Bereans did. They listened to Paul. They went away, not with a critical spirit or a judgmental attitude. They went away, opened up their Bibles to see whether what Paul had taught them was in the Scriptures. That wasn't nitpicking. That was maturity. And that's what we need to be. A people who are not tossed by every wind of doctrine. Tossed by the latest idea. Tossed by the latest preacher. Tossed by the latest idea or way of thinking around how to do church. And unfortunately many churches seem to be gripped by the latest idea. So their vision changes according to what is the latest fad as it were. We need to be a people who are rooted and grounded in the Bible. You need to be, I need to be. God wants to give you that spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can discern that which is right and that which is wrong. That doesn't make us spiritual policemen. We're not going around looking for things that we disagree with and trying to pick flies with everything that we hear. But what we need to do is continually come back to the word and say, Lord, what are you saying? Is this in line with sound doctrine? Do I need to leave it to one side? What is your word in this situation? To instruct the church so that we're not tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Not necessarily false doctrine, just doctrine. Not being tossed by everything. One minute with this, next minute with that. Let's be a people who raise up a standard to the glory and honour of Jesus. Fifthly and finally, and with this we'll draw it to a conclusion here today. One of the fivefold purposes of these ministries is to strengthen the body of Christ. Yeah, we've touched upon this, but it is well worth repeating so that we are growing together. It talks about the headship of Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. That is the defining, as it were, oil of lubrication that makes everything tick. Love. We grow and we are built up as a body. We are built as a building. We mature as a body when we walk in love. We've mentioned it before, but it's well worth repeating. That as every part is held together. Every joint, it says in the King James Version, supplieth or contributes. Every part has something to bring to the table. No matter how insignificant, no matter how big, however, how small, makes no difference. It's all about walking in love. And the body grows 
It's not talking about numerical growth here, it's talking about spiritual growth. Although things that are healthy do grow, and numeric growth must not be discounted. We need to believe that the Lord will add to us, that we will grow. But church health is always more important than church growth. If you get health, then you get something that can grow to become something that the Lord will add to. So we rejoice in that as well. So the fivefold purpose of these ministries, to equip the church for the work of the ministry. Not to do the ministry, but to equip all those who are part of that group for them to do the work of the ministry. Secondly, to build up the body of Christ, to promote spiritual unity, to instruct the church and to ultimately strengthen the body of Christ together. So that's the ministries that God has given us. And we need to be as a people aligned to all that God has and all that he wants to say into our lives so that we might be exactly what Christ has called us to be. Amen. Let's just pray together, shall we? Father God, today, we thank you for your word. We thank you because your word is alive and active, a double-edged sword that pierces, Lord, that separates joints and marrow, the soul and the spirit, Lord. It reads and discerns the attitudes of the heart. We thank you, O Lord, for today. So may this word, Lord, enrich our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.